A statistician by qualification, Shui Agbade has evolved to becoming a resourceful learning and development specialist that is passionate about helping young professionals discover their purpose and become better versions of themselves. His journey into the world of knowledge transfer started in his National Youth Service days, where he served his nation as a mathematics teacher and later grew to become the head teacher at Meadow Hall Junior School, Lekki Lagos. He soon realized his newfound love of building and molding mines and decided to pitch his tents there. He obtained a BSc in mathematics from the University of Lagos and has a PGDE as well as a level 3 award in education and training from Highfields Universities, UK in the bag. He is completing his MBA degree program with the University of Lagos while undertaking a master's in leadership from the Liverpool John Moores University as well as an associate diploma in learning and development from the Chattered Institute of Personnel Development, CIPD, UK. As a learning technology enthusiast, he continually seeks 21st century pedagogy, receiving several certifications from Microsoft, Google, and other technology giants. Being a lifelong learner himself, he has always been passionate about professional development, and this has seen him become a regular trainer and facilitator in several capacities including seminars and conferences such as the Transformation Summits, the annual Meadow Hall Educamp held in Lagos and Port Harcourt, which hosts hundreds of professionals yearly, just to mention a few. He has also served as a human capacity development consultant with a number of public and private institutions, such as the Lagos State Ministry of Education, Okma International School owned by Salvation Ministries, Evergreen Schools, Enugu, and many more. He has influenced the lives of many globally with his many initiatives, such as the Impact Educators Virtual Conferences, 100 Seconds with SA, and many more. Ladies and gentlemen, with a rousing ovation, make welcome Shri Agbade. Joining us on this session is Roland Shodiande. Roland has over two decades of SAP experience working in a variety of roles within SAP projects. He has hands-on experience and expertise in SAP, gleaned from working on several large global projects, and specializes in successful project deployment, management, and delivery. His wealth of experience was also brought in the education sector, as the CEO of Dynamis Digital Learning where a combination of functional know-how and deep industry insight is used to support education leaders, provide advisory solutions and training services. To give us more insight about technology integration, ladies and gentlemen, make welcome Roland Shodiande. Good day, Mr. Roland Shodiande, and you're welcome to the Impact Educator Summit 2020. What an honor to have you here with us. But sir, for the benefit of those that are meeting you for the first time and do not know you so very well, please do us the honor of introducing yourself to us, sir. First of all, Shay, thank you for inviting me. I'm very humbled. I feel very privileged that you chose to speak to me um, about education. Thank you very much. So my name is Roland Chudende. I'm the CEO of a company called Dynamis. Dynamis is best known for the work we've done in ERP. Uh, ERP is Enterprise Resources and Planning. And we are experts on a particular software called SAP. SAP is the most powerful business uh, software in the world. And 90% of the Fortune 500 companies use it. So we have clients like Cadbury's, Samsonite, Sanyo, um, Tate & Lyle, quite a few companies that you know, British, British Gas. Those are our companies. That's our staple. That is our background. But we became passionate about education because we had 
a contract with NNPC and we were looking to employ people to help us with that particular contract locally. And we were paying them what by Nigerian standard is a lot of money in, in, in US dollars on a daily basis. And we couldn't find people for love or money. So we realized the fact that there was an opening in the marketplace to actually make a change in terms of IT awareness. And we were fortuitous enough at the time to get involved with Microsoft. And Microsoft elected our company in particular to deliver its premier educational product into the Nigerian market. And we've been in the Nigerian market now for about uh, five years, I think. And uh, yes, it's been a very, very interesting, very challenging uh, time for us. Wow. So your venture into the education sector was out of a need you realized and a desire to fill that need. Like, like most things in life, necessity is the mother of invention. So basically we had, we had a need and that need spurred us on. And I think again, for people like ourselves that have been out of the country for a while and then coming back into the country was very, very important for us to see not so much what we can take from the country, but what we can actually give back to the country. Hence our venture into education. So, sir, since you have been in the education sector, what has it been like for you? Any motivation and what keeps you going? It's, an off, it, it's a very heartbreaking industry to be in, mainly because you have a lot of schools, a lot of teachers, and the people that control the schools are of my own generation. So for many people of my own generation that have not been exposed to IT, they take pride in saying, I learned this in Nigeria where BBC, basically they were born before computers. And since they've done well before computers, why should computers be that important to education? So it goes back to that age old debate about, you know, digital natives and digital migrants. The fact that they're people that were born with, you know, remote controls and computers and mobile phones in their hands versus people that did not see their first remote control until they were 15 or 16. And so we, we tend to look at education. I think for most people of my generation, we're looking at education through the first spec of 20th century education versus people of your generation or of a generation younger than yours, Jay, that really are 21st century, you know, digital natives. So it's a totally different mindset. It's a totally different way of looking at education. And so in coming into Nigeria, that was the biggest challenge. And you know, the hardest thing to fight in the world is prejudice and apathy. You know, prejudice in as much as people have made up their mind that why do we need computers? Apathy because you know, there's an indifference. So when we first came into the market in collaboration with Microsoft, we were doing big conferences, inviting a thousand schools and bringing all kinds of, you know, educated people to talk about the importance of digitalization. And um, yes, it has been quite an adventure. Rewarding, you know, eventually, but, you know, for a lot of it, it's been a lot of heartache, definitely. Okay, sir, the next question is closely related to that. As a tech company operating in the edge space in Nigeria, what has the acceptance level been like? Oh, very low. Definitely very low. So prior to COVID-19, what we did was go knocking from, from school to school. And it's always a very strange thing that even schools that will charge one million naira term or one million naira per annum, and you start telling them that, you know, you need for them to actually spend 5,000 naira per term for parents to actually pay 5,000 naira per term for a product. The reaction has been saying that it's adverse is the least. 
it's usually the Nigerian thing. Oh, why can't you give us for free? You're a big company in England. Why can't you give us for free? And so we've had to go through this rigmarole of explaining to people that we're not a church, we're not a charity, we're a business, but we're also wanting to get paid fairly for what we're giving. And when you compare the product that we have, which is the market leader in any country, and what people are actually getting for the quality of product that we're providing, the price tag that we put on it, which was also determined to us by the product owners, was the price tag that was going to encourage proliferation. We wanted as many people as possible to use it. The reception that we got from the, you know, there's so many establishments where you start talking about education. Uh, there are so many educational bodies and those bodies will not talk to you unless you own a school or you're part of it. And even then there were louder voices within those particular school bodies, school organizations, school associations that are, that are very loud and they had their opinion and people tend to follow the herd. So if the leaders within a particular school association are saying that, oh, what is the importance of digitalization? That's what everybody listened to. What COVID-19 has done is given us absolute vindication because people, I have a lot of schools that we've been through. If you imagine we've done conferences and we've invited a thousand schools. Now we have those thousand schools saying to us, well, why didn't you tell us COVID-19 would happen? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you predicted that, you predicted that you know, these education um, portals were important but he didn't tell us that they were important and they were remedy against the likes of uh, the a pandemic. So, yeah, so that is, it's, the vindication has come, but it's not the kind of vindication that makes you happy. It would have been better for us to have a better way of being patronized than people patronizing us out of desperation, which is terrible, which is terrible. And the students suffer. All right, sir. So while doing business in the Nigerian space, have you received any kind of government support before? Are you kidding me? So the closest we've gotten is basically support from the British government, of course, because we're a British company. So the British government has basically sat down with us on numerous occasions and said, look, there are grants here. And these grants mainly for university education, that if there are universities that have an interest in your product, the British government would basically fund it for the next five years. But that again also came with a lot of challenges in that, of course, when you start looking at, you know, getting a grant, there are many hurdles to, to jump over. And when you sit down with educators and, and present those hurdles to them, the, as far as they're concerned, why do we have to jump through this? Or why can't you just give us the money? So it's, you know, it's strange for me, that the people that have started the Helms of Affairs in terms of education are from the 20th century, when it suits them. But when it comes to actually getting things that would be for free, they want it to be done at 21st century pace. So on the one hand, they don't see the need to hurry into changing digital education. On the other hand, when you tell them, well, this government body outside of Nigeria is prepared to actually help us, but you have to satisfy a, B, C, D, they're like, why can't they just give us? Why do they have to make us fill this form? And so it's a really, really strange thing. And it's not so much an attack on the people that are at the end of affair. More than anything else is the fact that there has to be a better way of doing things, considering what is at stake. Education basically is the production company that produces the quality of citizens that a country would have. So education is tied irrevocably to the prosperity of any nation. 
So if you look at the most prosperous nations in the world, what you want to look at is what is the quality of education that they have. And when people actually draw that parallel and come to that realization, they'd realize the fact that even a school teacher, considering what that school teacher is doing and how little that school teacher is paid, should be paid a whole lot more for the value that that teacher brings to the nation as a whole in no time at all. Improve the education, the quality of education, you'd improve the quality of citizens, you'd improve the productivity of the entire economy as a whole. And people are missing that point. That is my gripe. That is what I'm more forced about, to be honest. And that is what this has all been set up for, to use education as a tool for societal transformation. Thank you very much, sir. So, sir, what has been your greatest challenge operating in the Nigerian tech space, sir? It has to be the obstacles that school owners and people and that they present. I'll give you, you know, the best way to, to say it. So when we first came to Nigeria, we had a very robust setup. And occasionally, uh, when I do come to Nigeria, I love engaging schools. I love going to schools, meeting with the students and meeting with the principals and the teachers. But one of my most enjoyable moments, I think, was a, a school that wanted us to present to the parents. And we learned a fundamental lesson. So we went to the school and we gave a presentation to the parents. And the school had warned us prior that definitely this is not something the parents will sign up for. It was a riot at that particular school. And this was the first school that had actually done the presentation to the parents. The parents were adamant that why did the school not introduce this before? This is not fair on the students. And then parents came to us personally to ask us if this portal that we sell was something they could buy for their children without going to the school. Now that particular scenario has now repeated itself 10 times, 20 times for us. Every time we speak to the parents, of course the parents want what is best for their children. They want 21st century education. Every time we speak to the schools, the schools tell us, oh, parents are not going to pay this money. Oh gosh, we even struggle for them to pay school fees, um, which is not a lie. It is true that some parents would always struggle, but we tend to focus more on that one percentile of parents that are struggling to pay school fees than the 90 percentile of parents that actually say, you know something, I want what is best for my child. How much would it cost? You know, can, can I afford it? So parents are not the barriers to digitalization. The schools themselves are the barriers to digitalization. Wow, so that means the parents are not the barriers to digitalization. It's the schools themselves that are the barriers to digitalization. Very interesting, sir. So, sir, the next question is, due to the current pandemic that we are facing, a lot of schools have implemented digital and online resources to continue their teaching and learning. But sadly, many, many schools, especially the government schools, have not gone through this direction as well. What that means is we would have created a form of digital gap, a form of digital divide. What would you recommend to school leaders, to school owners, and even to the government on how we can bridge this digital divide? Okay, we are doing many things. And I can only speak from my own perspective. The first thing that we did was we introduced our software and we gave it for free to schools. Now, the initial challenge was we had to get that permission from Microsoft because even though you tell everyone that it's free, when a software is cloud-based, it's not free. What means is both the people that are going onto the software in the cloud have to pay uh, definitely for 
getting on, you know, you have to buy data. And then when you go into a platform like ours, which is Microsoft's platform, the Azure platform, that also costs money and it will cost Microsoft money in the back end and our partners money in the back end. And we're talking hundreds, even not millions of pounds or, or dollars that is going to cost them to do the hosting, to be able to actually satisfy so many schools. So it took a while, but we were able to get through to Microsoft and agree that we can give our software to every school in Nigeria that wants it. We can give it to them for free until the start of September. That was the first thing that we looked at. Get everybody past this in initial emergency, which COVID-19 presents. For, because our schools never closed. The schools that had our portal did not close for one day. And the reason why those schools did not need to close was that they already had a culture of students working remotely, being able to speak to their teachers via Teams or via Zoom, because Teams and Zoom are automatically entrenched in our system. So what we saw at that point was that our own schools did not have a problem at all, and parents were not adverse to paying. So in terms of, you know, there being this digital divide, the digital divide existed before COVID-19 because there were schools, and if you look at the, the pyramid of adoption where you'd always have the early adopters, you know, the innovators, people that just see that this is good and they latch onto it and they push aside every obstacle to get onto that thing that, that is good. And then you'd always have, you know, the, the laggards and they also ran, people that say, okay, uh, well, they've been doing it for 20 years. Might be to work. Me too, I'll try it now. And then the ones that say, okay, if uh, Mr. A does it, then I too, I have to do it. But we don't have a lot of innovators and early adopters within Nigeria as a whole. People are always looking for someone that serves as a guinea pig and says, okay, I've done it. And then, say, oh, then we're going to do it. But there are many schools that are forward thinkers. These schools were far ahead of most schools in Nigeria. They'd already adopted technology and they, they've done miracles with it. They're doing exams without technology. They're doing exams without technology. So how do we address the digital divide? The first thing that we did was say, look, if it's free, the excuse then is not, we can't afford it. The second thing that we did was we partnered with a lot of banks and said to the banks, look, are you able to give soft loans to schools to be able to buy our software? So we have a raft of banks that are giving our software, they're giving loans, particularly, you know, to schools to be able to buy software. We also partnered with Airtel, we partnered with Glow to say, look, can you reduce the cost of data? And we're working with Glow, Airtel and MTN to reach basically a compromise that allows them to actually give educators data for free. So those were the initiatives that we came up with. And we're also speaking to charities internationally to find out from them if people are willing to donate tablets and laptops. Um, to Nigeria, and that's something that we're doing at the moment, and we're working, you know, earnestly to get, you know, get to a stage whereby we're able to get a lot of these bodies to give us uh, the tablets. We will pay for the cost of bringing it into Nigeria, and hopefully the government will not allow us to pay input duty on it because it will be for charitable purposes. So those are the kind of initiatives that we are looking at to be able to help those aspects of our society that cannot afford five thousand. Naira a term. 5,000 Naira a term is the equivalent of 42 Naira a day. You know, just so you know. Wow. So you seem to have to do a lot behind the scenes to ensure that we try to bridge this digital gap in Nigeria. 
So yeah. tell us a bit more about the packages you offer, what you offer, and what the packages can do. Oh my God, I don't know if you have enough time for us to be able to do that. <laughs> basically, what we do is we're a one-stop shop for education technology. So the approach that we've had is the same approach that we had you know, going into SAP, which is why can you not just go to a particular superstore and say, I want everything relating to education. So for example, we're partnered with the largest company that imports devices into Africa. We represent them in Nigeria. We're partnered, of course, with Microsoft. We're partnered with a number of learning management systems, depending on whether you want to go in a tertiary level or you want to go in at a K-12 level. Our primary and principal partner is a company called Digital LP365. Uh, Dynamics LP365, they are our main partners for K-12 because they have the easiest to use um, school learning management system in the world. It's the school management system of preference in England, Bahrain, Singapore, Philippines. It takes the average teacher 10 minutes to learn how to use it. Teachers that are not digitally inclined, 10 minutes. It takes the students five minutes. It's on Microsoft Azure platform. It never breaks down. So unless you don't have data or unless you have the connectivity issues, as long as you're connected, it works. It doesn't give you any problem. It gives you the video conferencing facilities. It allows you to attach documents. It allows you to attach videos. And we load our software with about, uh, it's always an argument. I say 1 million resources from uh, kindergarten, early years, straight through to, straight through to A-level. But someone in my company has argued with me that it's 3 million resources. So we give wow. all of this free in terms of that. And that's on the LMS side. So I've, I've mentioned devices, I've mentioned LMS. We're also the franchise owners, owners of virtual uh, robotics, which means that you can now learn robotics within your school. So we do STEM robotics training, which is meant to be a three-month training, six weeks of learning how to use robotics and learn robotics programming, and then six weeks of doing a robotics project. And it's a course that's been designed for anyone above the age of 10. So it basically takes away the cost of learning robotics, which if you're in England and you have to buy robotics here, it's going to cost you about 100 or 200 pounds. In Nigeria, it costs nearly 200,000 to buy your robotics kits. So robotics kits are so expensive, it's impossible for everybody to use it. But we are selling this STEM robotics education kit for 15,000 naira per annum. And instead of making it a 12 weeks course, we are now making it a one year course, which means that you can do the same course four times in a year at the same price um, or at a very small price. Because if you did the same course internationally, of course, it would cost you, you know, a, a large amount of money. We also have a virtual laboratory, which means you can do your chemistry, physics, biology in a laboratory online. So we own that franchise also in Nigeria. We also have a teacher training franchise called Tablet Academy International. And Tablet Academy International are the largest trainer of digital teachers in the world. So we've bought their franchise now to Nigeria and we own their franchise for the whole of Africa. So it's called Tablet Academy Africa. And it provides training for teachers on everything relating to education online. So teachers actually go in there and they get qualifications and those qualifications are internationally recognized. And it basically makes the journey of teaching online so much easier. Those are the ones that I remember, but we have quite a few software. Well, we have an examination software. So which means that people can actually do examination online. 
and they are unable to cheat. It's impossible, impossible to cheat, right? So we also own that for the whole of Africa. So what we've become is just that one-stop shop where you can get all of your software needs on our platform, basically. Wow. So you seem to have a lot of franchises and a lot of things going on at your end. Fantastic. Uh, going back to the virtual robotics you talked about, so you're saying that with 15,000 Naira, you can actually purchase that for a year. Yeah. So basically, what the way the robotics course is designed internationally is that you can only use it for 12 weeks, three months. Six weeks of learning how to do the robotics, six weeks of building your own robot, and that robot is then put into an international competition. So basically the role of the school is to sell the product because the course is not offered by the school. So we have teachers in a webinar that are teaching people. You can ask your questions and they're guiding you. Remember it's a three months course. The difference between how we are selling that product in Nigeria is we're making it a one year course, which means when a 10 year old does it for 12 weeks, puts his project in, is able to go back and do it again and do it again and do it again. So, and our premise for arguing for that particular leeway is that we have a lot of catching up to do in Africa. We haven't put a price yet on our virtual laboratories, but we try to make it a price that most people can afford. Again, it's still 42 Naira a day. Hmm. That's very significant. Okay, sir. Earlier in our conversation, you talked about the digital immigrants and the digital natives. Now, many of the teachers in the education sector, especially in the government sector, are still largely dominated by this digital immigrants. What would you say to school owners or to the government that have these kinds of teachers and have refused to change and move with the tide? How would you recommend we deal with this stuff? I think there are two anecdotes I'd give. The first anecdote was a conference in Kigali last year where the World Bank, one of the World Bank ministers came on and he announced that the problem that Africa has are not the students, the students are brilliant, but that any teacher above the age of 40 that is not willing to be digitalized should be sacked. And of course, all the representatives from the African government, they were mad at this guy. And the guy says, no, you have, you have to understand. What I'm saying is, if they're not ready to digitalize, they have to move because they're now an impediment to good education. They're not really sticking with the program. And you have to look at it in terms of what is the consequence of teaching a 21st century student information from the 20th century. And that is the cardinal difference between the digital migrant and the digital native. A digital native, basically, information is commodity to them. And what that, that's the reason why you're seeing Facebook and Twitter and WhatsApp are selling so much because they've you know, commercialized information. So a digital native can actually get his information immediately. There's absolutely, my daughter, my youngest daughter is 11 years old. There's nothing I tell my daughter that she doesn't check out. So if I say to her, you know, oh, Marcus, Gabby, blah, 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 she comes back in five minutes and say, hey, daddy, you got the date wrong, <laughs> you know? So there's nothing. And there's nothing I try to teach her and she will nod her head and then she'll come back and say, you know something, I found something on YouTube, Daddy. I think, I think I'll just go with YouTube. Don't worry about it. They're so much cleverer than we are. And understand, I have an IT background. So, and this, this is the thing, 65% of 
of every child in primary school today in most parts of the world will be doing a job that has not even been created yet. 65%. And yet we're still teaching these students how to be government workers. Because the education that we are giving to them is an education that allows them to take one file from this place and put it in that place. It's not an education that basically reinvigorates an economy. You want to create more entrepreneurs. You want to create more people that are saying, why can't I create an accounting software? Why can't I help Mama Put that is selling Amala to digitalize our accounting? Those are the things that will change the economy. So for us, those teachers that have refused to actually digitalize are an impediment. And harsh and bad as it sounds, I always make, and I, I mention this school all the time, because for me, as far as I'm concerned, it's the best school in Nigeria. And the proprietor of the school is refreshing. Basically, virtually anything that improves the quality of education of the students, he wants it. One of the first things is done is he gave all of his teachers three months. If within three months, you don't have a Microsoft certification, you're fired. Wow. Every single teacher in that school has a, has a Microsoft certification. It's the only Nigerian school to date that NASA paid full tickets, full accommodation, spending money for its students to come over to Cape Canaveral and take a tour of NASA. So why is that? I mean, it's not as if the students are any better than students anywhere else. It's the fact that the proprietor of the company is very tax savvy himself has a, he has a technology background he used to work for cisco and he knows what 21st century education requires and is willing to pay the price for it there's just no room for teachers in this day and age to say they would not get digitalized i was on a conference call recently where they made me as a panelist and one of the speakers at the one of the government officials there um, highlighted the need to make sure that there's a standardization for teachers that will teach online and what the man said was that he wants to see, and this is a high-ranking government official, he wants to see a situation where within the next two years, if a teacher hasn't got an IT qualifications, they should not be allowed to get into school. So there will be changes, and I hope those changes happen sooner rather than later. Hmm. Wow. Thank you very much, sir. You gave it to us the way we wanted it. All right, sir. Uh, considering the pandemic, a lot of school leaders, a lot of schools will be trying to implement these digital resources you're talking about. What advice would you give them on how to effectively integrate technology into their practices without breaking the bank? First of all, you know, I love the way um, I think it was Booker T. Washington says, he said, he said, drop your bucket where you are and go to work. What that means is whatever you have, just start with, you know, Google Classroom is free. Microsoft Teams is free. If, you, if that's what you want to go with, go with it. Whatever floats your boat. But the important thing is that if you're doing it for the students, then you know that you have to basically digitalize. So we want to get to a stage, which is, you know, my vision, is that we get to a stage in, in Nigeria where everybody is BYOD, bring your own device, right? Everybody brings a device to school. So by the time my daughters were 10, they were no longer taking books to school. So everything was actually done on an iPad. That's what they were using, you know. And so I know it's not going to be that easy for everyone. And it would be extremely myopic for any one of us to think that we will get to where the first world countries have gotten to, that we'll get there in the next three years, four years. Probably not. But even if a mobile phone is what you have, right? 
use that device whilst you can. Even if one family has to share one laptop, use that whilst you can. But the will has to be there in order for the change to actually occur. There has to be that paradigm shift in terms of the, the complacent attitude we've had, which has always been, this is the way it's always been done. Why are you trying to change it? Any progressive nation always asks itself, is there a better way of doing it? And why are we not doing it? And so for me, my encouragement is that if you want it, you would find a way. If you want it, you would really, really find a way. And hopefully, to the best of our ability, any school that approaches us, what our attitude has been is we will do everything in our power to help you digitalize, even at our own cost. So any school out there that says they do want to go digital, as long as they approach us, we will bend over backward to do everything we can to encourage them to go to, to digitalize. And we, we don't fail very much. And I think nearly every school that comes to us leaves us very, very satisfied. Hmm. Wow. Thank you very much, sir. Um, so, are there any strategies you can prefer on how to make distance learning more attractive? Because we still have people in Nigeria, we have parents in Nigeria that have said, you know what, I'm not a part of that thing you're talking about. I prefer the traditional teaching and learning. So, what would you say it, to sir? I think the change is going to come from the parents. I think we put a six or seven plan, a six or seven step plan to digitalization, which we presented in one of the conferences. And we've had such an amazing demand for that particular document. And what the, the way the document highlighted, first of all, is that, you know, here's the thing. The reality of it is this. We now have lesson teachers approaching us and telling us, can we please buy the software because we want to run our lessons as digital classrooms. And the lesson teacher that approached me was actually a teacher in one of the schools that had actually implemented our software. And my thing was, but you're not a school, you know? So there has to be, for starters, the government itself has to ratify things and say, well, these are the kind of people that can actually run a school. But this was a teacher within a school and he wanted to start a lesson. The reason why he wanted to start the lesson is it seen this particular school that had only 300 students within its premises, expand its intake of students to an additional 500, making it 800 students, without buying one extra chair. So your digital classroom is as important to you now as your blackboard and your chalk, as your chair and your pen, as your pen and paper in the 21st century. If you look at the Western world, and that's always, you know, you, you don't need to get a crystal ball to be able to actually predict the future. Just if people have coined the phrase first world, second world, third world, Look at what the trend is in all of those other worlds that are not third world. And you find that there's one university that has 3 million students online. One university, 3 million students online. How? Why? So why can't we do it? Because the cost of infrastructure is something that we all invest in. And that heavy investment now would yield yes dividends because the way, the path of the future, all the pointers are telling us that there'll be less an emphasis on terrestrial schools. There'll be more of an emphasis on digital schools now. So that is what the future is telling us. So if you want to do it, there are many reasons to do it. And the, the most important reason is that the competition is going to get more intense now for lots of schools. Schools that traditionally have been guaranteed to always have students will now basically have to consider the fact that what we currently have is the first stage of a pandemic. 
and it has not hit Nigeria yet. The second stage of this pandemic is meant to be evil, which means that if COVID-19 was killing people in six weeks, this is killing people in three weeks. It's all scare tactics, but then we know that there will be a second wave. And what you're going to find, Cheyi, I assure you, will be when the second wave, wave comes, there'll be schools that still have not gone digital. And, you know, that is, um, you know, I, I love the way the Yoruba says that when, when a cripple has been warned about war, the war should not meet the cripple there. But the way that we say it is that when a wise cripple has been warned about war, the war should not meet the cripple. Because there'll, be, there'll, be there'll still be cripples out there that'll get caught up in the war. The pandemic, this pandemic shows us what can happen. But we don't need the pandemic to know that this is the trend of the future. Digitalization is the inevitable. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. So, if you have the opportunity to be the Minister of, say, Education or Minister of I'll Science take, and Technology I'll never take that job. in Nigeria I'll never for one day, for one day, what would you ensure you do before I, I you get out of take, office? I would, I would take it for two seconds. Those are the hardest jobs, you know, on the planet. They're the hardest. And the reason why I say these jobs are so hard is that you have a situation where so much has to be done in so little time with, so little, with, with next to nothing as a budget. So how do you start making changes like this when you don't have a budget? So the starting point and the foundation is to get a policy together. I know normally policies can be put together within two months or three months in most countries. In Nigeria, it takes three years. So by the time you actually finish doing your policy, it's time to leave office. And then the next guy that takes the office has got no time to look at like your policy. He wants to start his own policy again. He wants again to start all over again. So, and, and these, are, these are the real issues. But there has to be a change. And the first thing is that we have to realize the fact that you cannot digitalize without providing the accruement for digitalization. You cannot digitalize without data. You cannot digitalize without devices. And then you cannot digitalize without the software. So the starting point is the software, there are a lot of software out there that, that are free. The problem with the free software is that they're not that robust. They're very hard to use. They're not teacher friendly. They were not created by teachers. That is why software like my software still works because a teacher, whether you're educated in technology or not, can use it within 10 minutes. So, but there's software there that are free. The telecoms company have to come to the party. And they have to come to the party bearing gifts because we have 254 million SIM cards in Nigeria. So these telecom companies are making the equivalent of $44 million a day or something like that. You know, so they have to be able to give the school a whole pass. They have to be able to say, look, if you're a school and you're digitalizing, data is free. Those things have, they, it has to be mandated because if you don't do that, they won't be proliferation. Because the, the hardest part of this technology is the cost of data and the cost of devices. And that's where the banks come in. The banks have to be able to actually bankroll schools and students to buy devices. So once you have that, where a student, because a family of four that wants to buy laptop tablets, and they say each tablet is going to cost you 40000 and the father is a taxi driver, that is instantly three months of his wages gone. But if you give the same man the ability to pay 2000 3000 every month, he's able to, to, to buy that. So irrespective of how hard we try, we'd never get to a place where everybody has equal access to the same thing. But what we should always be looking at and what we should be striving for 
is making sure that a larger amount of people are able to actually get access to these things. Oftentimes, when we start talking about digitalization, the argument stops because the people in the know, the educated people would say, oh, if everybody cannot afford it, then we shouldn't go ahead. You know, but not everybody can afford a car, but everybody still goes to work. And those are the attitude that we have to look at and say, how do we truly make sure that many, many more people have access to this? And so whilst I'll never be minister for a day, what I would encourage ministers to do is to work with people like us, work with businesses, uh, because we've got a raft of amazing strategies, a raft of amazing partners that would help the country to digitalize. And we're speaking to people in the high level at the moment to see what we can actually do. Hmm. Thank you very much, sir. So um, can you share to our listeners one personal habit that you feel has contributed to get you to where you are today, sir? Me? Run five yes, kilometers a day. <laughs> Run every, <laughs> every day at least, you know, for 30 minutes on the treadmill, you know, for five kilometers. Now, I think the most important thing for me, more than anything else, is integrity of spirit and a sense of purpose. I've been extremely privileged in my life so I've done a lot of things that I enjoy doing. But there's nothing I've done so far that I've enjoyed doing more than helping schools to go digital. To, in my own little way, being a part of that contribution with the vision that this might change a country. This is my own little corner. My job is to try as best I can to keep my corner clean. And to do it with verve, with passion, with integrity, and a lot of laughter. I love laughing. You've, you've met me, so you know. You know that everything, yes, everything, everything cracks me up. I look for the humor in everything. Oh, yes, sir. You know, so that, yes, that, sir. That, that, that's my take on it. But hey, I'm old now. I'm, you know, I'm a very, very old man now. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. So if you could recommend one book or maybe one online resource that would help people actually affect technology into the teaching and practicing, a book that, you know something, I don't think it's so much a book, really. Um, and maybe what I'm going to do to you is send you the seven steps to digitalization or something like that, which you can then share with all, with all your schools. Because that, that would be more effective for them because it's a roadmap. It's a roadmap that says this is how to get from point A to Z. Of if you do want to go digital, these are my recommendations of how you can actually do it. Wow, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank sir. you so much. So um, for those that will want to meet with you, want to get some of your services, want to find out more about what you do, what's the best place for them to reach out to you, sir? Ring me. I get, honestly, I get, you've seen what my day is like. You and I have been trying to hook up today and you've seen how crazy sure. my day is. But sure, the easiest thing to do is we have, in our organization, we have a flat structure. Everybody in my organization is reachable. Um, we've got our website, which is dynamisdigitallearning.com dynamis is d-y-n-a-m-i-s-s digitallearning.com but just ring me up plus four four seven nine five seven one seven zero nine seven three plus four four seven nine five seven one seven zero nine seven three just ring me up ring me up as long as you don't ring me at 10 at night i pick up <laughs> all my calls so ring me up and i you know i love meeting people and i love being of service so I exist only to serve. Thank you. Thank you very Thank you much, so much. Thank you and, so much. Um, to conclude this, sir, on a more personal note, how has the COVID-19 affected you personally as a father, as oh, a husband? Man. So 
I live in a very tiny village in England and everybody that I know knows somebody that has died. So I've, learned, I've lost my aunt, I've lost my cousin. A friend of mine recently just lost his son. I'd, I haven't even got the courage to ring him up. My sister-in-law had it, she survived. My business partner's wife had it, she survived. She was in a ward with seven people. Three of those seven people died. So we've had it really bad here in England. You know, it has really been bad. And the worry that they have now is it's starting to leave. We're down now in the double digits because we're in summer. Um, but when the winter months come, they are prepared that it's going to be even worse. So this is, it's been a bad thing for us to experience as uh, human beings, but it's also been an opportunity for us to know that, you know, life is very fragile, you know, love the one you're with, tell them how much you love them all the time, cherish the time that God has given each and every one of us to be here. You cannot really take life for granted, I guess. Accept our condolences as well, the losses that you have. Yeah, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. They've gone right, to a better so. place. It's, 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 it's digital. Heaven is already digitalized. <laughs> it's fully digitalized. All right. All right, sir. Um, so before we go, sir, any last comments you'd like to say to our viewers? No, Shay, I am so impressed um, by you as a human being. I've, I've loved you from day one that we've met. You've been an amazing guy. I'm always telling my wife that when I came to your school, your school is one of the most amazing schools I've been to in Nigeria. Um, I've never seen a bunch of teachers that were so passionate about teaching. Your headmistress, Mrs. Abafisoye, is she's she's not human. She's an angel, you know, because she's so committed to making a change in education. And she's so passionate about that. We go to many schools. There are not many schools we see that are like your schools. And if Nigeria has 10% more schools like yours, I think Nigeria will change. So please keep on doing what you're doing. Um, I'm passing the baton on to you because I'm an old man now. So <laughs> the ball is now in your court. You know, you just keep, you're a digital native. I'm a digital immigrant. So <laughs> it's up to you now to All do right. the best you can do. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Roland Shodende. It's been such a wonderful time. Happy to spend this time with you here. Um, and I'm sure our viewers are more than glad to have spent this time with you as well. Thank I'll you very say much. Thank you to all your viewers and God bless us all. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. Sir. Yes, sir.